Welcome back to Word and Table, a bi-weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gauthier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Good to be back, Alex. Um, Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation right here in the Greenhouse Movement. Um, and today, Father Stephen, we had uh, a write-in uh, from one of our listeners with a question. Um, Morgan Hickman um, asks this. Uh, it says, what are the divine qualities of Christ? Does he share all characteristics with the Father? Um, say, omniscience uh, or something like that. Uh, and it actually kind of reminds me also of questions I've had about Jesus um, that don't Aren't, don't seem to be entirely clear in the Gospels. For instance, um, does Jesus know everything about everything, just like the Father does? Um, does he know that he's the Messiah? When does he know that he's the Messiah? Does he know at age two? You know. Um, so maybe maybe you could comment on you know what does Jesus know um, in 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 his mind in his human incarnate nature? As you can see, the the incarnation just poses a lot of interesting questions. So maybe you can comment on that. Oh sure, sure. Uh, the church spent a lot of time dealing with these issues in a number of councils and things. I can basically summarize for you. Um, where they got to and what that means for us, what the sort of the bottom line is here. Well, first of all, the idea is there's only, we say in the creed, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. So the thing is, we don't want to have the idea that Jesus was somehow two people. There is one, for example, Nestorius, one church teacher, who sort of made a distinction, Jesus of Nazareth and... um, I think I've used the previous episode, like those chain gang movies with two, you know, people mm-hmm, escaping mm-hmm, from prison. Yeah. You know, but they're two different people. They're stuck together. But human Jesus chained to divine Jesus, and they talk. like they're but they're two different. They're two <laughs> yeah. different people, and they're bound together. And saying no, there's one person. Now he has two different natures. Yeah, he's truly God and truly man. Two natures that are distinct, but you know, but they're inseparable. But it's one person, and we actually call that you know the hypostatic union. We actually come up with that in the Fifth Ecumenical Council, which is uh, Second Constantinople. Uh, you know, comes up with that term. It means that basically they form one person, but two natures, one person. Now, the important thing with the two natures is God. You know, the second person of the Trinity doesn't change. We sometimes when we talk about became man, it's like he didn't cease to be God and become man and become God again mm-hmm. without changing anything. He assumed our humanity. So to use a very poor example, perhaps, but a very uh, prosaic one, it's not like converting you know, a bedroom into a study. It's yeah, more yeah. like adding a new room <laughs> to I the house. I see, I see. Okay. So it's, you know, he didn't change. His Godhead remains exactly what it always unchanged. However, he assumed our humanity. You know, and that doesn't change. When he comes back, he's still fully God and fully man forever. So what does that mean? It means that... Uh, when the, when the scriptures talk about God-like powers, it means we're, what we're seeing here is the fully God nature of Christ. And we talk about his weaknesses. He's afraid of dying, right? He sweats yeah, blood, yeah. etc. We, uh, we see his humanity. They're distinct but inseparable. Which brings us, okay, what does that mean, though? What did he know, etc.? Well, he, first of all, the church has taught he wouldn't be really human if he knew everything. So from a human vantage point... He had to learn carpentry from Joseph. I like to say that I bet if we could go back to the holy house in Nazareth, there'd be some 
badly made table in a corner that Mary just loved anyway. And she would say, <laughs> well, he wasn't always as good as he is today. Okay. He okay, had to learn it. things, like had to learn carpentry, had to learn how to read and write. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. Those were not miraculous gifts that he had, that he had to learn all he had to learn how, if he learned how to fish or whatever, he had to learn the things human beings have to learn, the things of the time and space. However, the difference was there were three ways because he was joined in this union to the, to the Father. And we look at the scriptures, the witness of the scriptures, there are three things he does know thanks to that union with the eternal word. The human Jesus, the human mind of Jesus is aware of. Okay. The first thing is he, he, he has a, an intimate and immediate knowledge of the Father. He always knows that God is his father. And that's why we have a tale that otherwise, a tale in the sense of one of the stories in the, in the New Testament, a very true episode, is the, the story of Jesus in the temple at 12. Is remember when Mary says, your father and I have been looking for three days for you. How can you do this? And you remember his saying, excuse me, you know, I'm in my father's house. Okay. Yeah. Joseph is not my father. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm in my father's house. He's fully aware. It's not like some people try to make it at his baptism. He has a religious experience that, hey, maybe I'm more than just a regular guy. Okay. No, the church held that Jesus always knew from his infancy, he knew his relationship to the father. I see. So okay. he knew that. A second thing, you know, so like we saw again, that child in the temple is one of the beautiful ways of demonstrating that at 12 years old. Uh, by the way, the questions people might miss this in rabbinic teaching. Uh, questions were like legal questions showed how smart you were. They weren't like learning things. They were actually sort of stumping, you know, like some of the questions people ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Those kind of things. He asked really intelligent questions. Be like, wow. But it's clear, like you said, he knew who at his father's house. I'm in my father. I'm about my father's business. I'm in my father's mm-hmm. house. Yeah. So yeah. he knows who he is. He doesn't suspect, hey, I think I might be more than just another carpenter's kid. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and he re- re- expresses that constantly in the Gospels, his sense of God being father, not the way he's father to everybody in the world or something, in a very unique way. Okay. My father. I see. You know. Another thing, he has a full understanding of the eternal plan of salvation. He always knows about his, his, his passion, death, and resurrection. Okay. That's why he can protect them. Anything involved with that, he knows those things. So even though he's, you know, asking God in the garden, you know, if, if it's, if, if I don't have to go through with this, I'd, I'd rather not, he's not, you know, sort of, he, he's still aware that this is what he was born to do. Yes. Okay. He's basically aligning. One of the things we say is one of the heresies of the church was, did Jesus actually have a human will or just a divine will? Well, if he had divine will, everything would be sort of fake, wouldn't it? Because what temptation is there if you don't want something? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and so they're emphasizing when he says not, that Christ has a human will and a divine will. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he aligns his will, like he invites us to, he aligns his will with the Father's. Okay. Let I your see. will be done. He makes that his own. That's what he's doing in the garden. So he has this perfect understanding of what God of the plan. Is he doing knows world, that yeah. he's what he's called to do. He tells the apostle, like, he starts predicting his passion, his death. Uh-huh, this uh-huh. is why I've come into the world. Okay. This is going to happen and it should happen. I see. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen after I'm going. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He knows those things because that's part of his mission. I see. He knows all the things necessary for his mission. It's sort of funny. I was an accountant, as you know, I'm a CPA. And we used to tell people, what should people have access to with information and accounting system? And we used to say the classic thing with internal control is a person should have all access to all the information and only the information they need for their job. Okay. <laughs> so the accounts receivable clerk shouldn't be able to get into the accounts payable. I see. Yeah, a person yeah, yeah. have all the access and only the access they need for their job. Uh-huh. So that's sort of a way of looking. Jesus has all the information uh, for his divine mission. 
Okay. But he doesn't cheat on being a human. Uh, he, yeah. He has to ask things. For example, he has to ask well, with Lazarus, well, where do they bury him? I see. He yeah, has yeah, to say, yeah. hey, guys, how many fish, how, how much do we have here? When he talks about the loaves and the fishes, he has the apostles, how much do we have? Okay, so well, this is interesting to me. If that's the case, then why? On Palm Sunday. What? You're thinking Palm Sunday. Why does he know the... the... Yeah, there's a cult tied up. Um, but because also that... he knows other things. He knows other things about uh, the woman at the well and how many husbands she's had. And um, he seems to sort of be clairvoyant on some stuff. So, Well, that comes to the third point. Okay. Excellent. Is he also the third thing? These are the three traditional things the church has seen. The first one is that he knows his relationship to the Father. That's never in doubt. He knows he's the Son of God in a unique way. Yeah. He is the begotten Son of God, not like we would be a Son of God. I see. He knows, secondly, the plan of salvation. The third, he knows the secret thoughts of the human heart. Okay, I see. So I that's see. why when, the, when he will say, for example, in the miracle in Mark's gospel at the end of the first day, with the man who's let down and he says, your sins are forgiven, it says people were thinking in their minds. They made a point of saying he didn't, they'd say it, they didn't say anything. He knew what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. He said, I know, why do you have these thoughts? I see. Very often okay. we emphasize, so he can read the mind that way. He has, uh, for those kind of things, because that's part of his mission. Uh, okay, okay. So he's able, he has special insight into the things that are ac- applicable to his, to his yes. mission uh, in particular. But part of his emptying out, the reason he did the other was, again, we call it the kenosis, his emptying himself out. You know, he made himself, you know, like a slave to be crucified, you know, the, you know yeah. they pouring himself out. So he didn't cheat. It's not like he could have played the stock market and knew that, you know, he was like yeah. us with everything else, except for those things which are, which in the father's will were absolutely necessary for the mission. I see. Okay. Well, let me, here, let me throw you a curveball really quick, uh, actually. So I've heard before um, an interpretation of the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Um, it comes up once in a while uh, that when um, you remember that she comes over Jesus and asks him to heal her, is it her daughter? Is it, yes, her daughter. Yeah, to heal her daughter. Um, and Jesus says, I only came to the house of Israel. And she kind of keeps pleading with him. And he says, yeah. And she, he, he says, it's not good to take the bread that's meant for the children and throw it to the dogs, referring to her, someone who's outside of the covenant community. Uh, and she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs... Uh, take the table scraps and he's so impressed by her that he heals her anyway. I've heard people say, so just like any, you know, sort of culturally situated person at that time, Jesus would have been intolerant toward people who were not Jews. And she actually kind of almost through this dialectical situation helps him to see that uh, God's plan extends beyond Israel and, and sort of she helps him to sort of respect, uh, to, to sort of respect people of all, you know, nations and creeds. Does, does that hold up to this test? Um, well, or? actually, it's completely backwards. And again, one of the things we talked about uh, sometime, I think, in our talks over the past is one of the big mistakes we can make with reading pericopes. A pericope is a technical term for an individual passage we mm-hmm. read in church on Sunday is that the Gospels are very carefully crafted. Uh, Mark, for example, um, is beautifully crafted. And so often we don't understand what something means unless we know what the context is. Let's talk about Mark's context for that, that story, which is, which is vital. Okay. It's comes between, we come between the two feedings. The first feeding, remember, is the feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. That promise of God feeding, the promise of the Eucharist, etc. Okay. He comes to, now, one of the problems we've had 
you know, uh, have, you know, has been the Jews unwilling to accept outsiders. This is one of the ongoing things of the ministry. Oh, mm-hmm, no, we mm-hmm. can't accept outsiders. M- M- Mark's gospel was particularly designed for Gentiles. So what happens with the Gentile woman is he sets her up to really look good, to make a point. It's like he said with the centurion. Well, I haven't seen faith like this. She gets it. Okay. So he deliberately eggs her on and said, well, you know, I can't really do that. And she's not bothered. She says, well, I have no trouble with the Jews going first. I'm okay. happy. There'll be yeah, plenty yeah, for yeah. everybody. Uh-huh. He said, that's the attitude. I see. That to help the Jews look upon giving anything to the Gentiles is somehow taking something from them. Okay. Her point that she makes is, wait a second. They don't, I don't want anything. I don't want to take what they have, but there's plenty for everyone. I'm willing to wait. Okay. Yeah. And then what comes after that tells us that's the meaning. Then we have the same feeding. This time we have the feeding with the Gentiles. Okay, the 4,000. Yeah, the the 4,000, yeah. we, se- we have the seven baskets instead of the 12 baskets, right? You know, we uh, have okay. all the yeah. signs. We, uh, you know, so it's t- telling us basically where the Jews were unhappy. They weren't, wasn't good enough to be first. Nobody else could join. Okay. She was perfectly happy to have that, and she had every reason to be bitter. Syrophoenician, the reason they tell us that is they were from the original tribes who were actually thrown off their own land. I see. Okay. From in human terms, talk about someone who should feel resentment, yeah. who that should bring out. These are the people who threw your ancestors off this land and pushed you against the coast. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, say, oh, I have no trouble with them going first. Of course, yeah. the children can eat first. There's always plenty for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. There will be food for us. So this was kind of an impressive sort of statement. And he's, of he is impressed. He said, this is incredible. Rather than this, he said, you know, uh, normally Jesus is saying things like, how, you know, you, how little is your faith? Oh, you have little faith right. to the apostles. What does he say to her? Woman, great is your faith. Yeah, yeah. That's odd. From the mouth of Jesus, this is like the centurion. He said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel yeah. as a Gentile. You know, it says, boy, your faith is great. So again, it's not, Jesus was, was this is bu- used this incident to show that the Gentiles, that's why they would accept the gospel, is they weren't resentful. They okay. were perfect, delighted yeah, to take yeah. what God had for them in the order God had it. I see. And, he said, and then what we see is what happened with the feeding of the 5,000 is for everybody. Okay. So, I mean, so obviously, exegetically, this is not a great uh, in- interpretation based on, on contextual clues. But the, the idea that Jesus would kind of like dialectically learn about, um, you know, like it would, it would sort of have to kind of like broaden his mind somehow. Absolutely uh, doesn't really not. work. <laughs> That's not certainly not the church's understanding ever is that when it comes to the plan of salvation, you know, these kind of things, Christ, he grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. It said, but that's talking about the human nature. We talk about goes back to Nazareth, his mm-hmm. life, but the, you know, Christ knew as we see in the, in the temple who he was and he didn't have to go to figure out he was the father's son. He was always the father's son. Great. Well, um, thanks, Father Stephen. Thank you, Morgan, for that excellent question. Yes, um, thank you. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. Thank you.